Welcome to Dr. Cindy Speaks. Regular musings and reflections on politics, current events, and life as a congressional candidate. Dr. Cindy Banyer is a mom and small business owner fighting for our water, our health, our community. She's running for the people of Southwest Florida, trying to flip Florida 19 from red to blue. Listen as she speaks truth to power and gets real about being a mom and a candidate. Dr. Cindy Banyer here for Dr. Cindy Speaks. I'm a mom and small business owner fighting for our water, our health, and our community. And I am here with you recording this on Tuesday, July 7th at 12.32 p.m. We have another fantastic guest with us coming up shortly, uh, Catherine Norman, who is running for the Florida legislature. She's going to join us soon and tell us a little bit about her race and why she's running. So in addition to that, uh, let's talk a little bit about what's going on here today. So here we are, just a, another day in pandemic paradise. It's hot and steamy outside, and our COVID-19 numbers are rising, rising, rising. Um, today, we are continuing to see exacerbated um, hospital levels here in Southwest Florida. I had seen this morning, there's an estimated only 18 ICU beds available in Lee County. They also put a call out over the weekend for nurses and other trained medical professionals to come in on an emergency basis. Uh, they sent a text message out to every available person in the area to come and start immediately because now they're in a crisis of not only you know physical capacity at the hospital but also human capacity in terms of service. So I'm I'm pretty worried about what's going on from the numbers it looks like we're in what ha- what we've seen as the lull, the low. Um, you know, they kind of batch these tests. I don't know exactly the ins and outs of it, but there's definitely like a, a handful of days of low and then super high. And I think it has to do with where the tests are coming from and how they're processing them. Now, the worrying thing here that I'm looking at as I'm looking at the, this is the official one from the state, which there's been a lot of problems with already. But um, there was a high on Saturday of 11,414. Of course, each new day's record is shattering the previous day's record. And now we're in this low, but, but our low, the valleys in this are much higher than they had been. So we had a valley of 6,313 cases uh, in release of the valley is 7361. So I, I, I'm going to go ahead and predict that the next peak is going to be higher than that 11,417 one, and it will shatter the, the record. And we're going to just keep going because we are seeing cases go. We're seeing people fighting about this. This is what's really got me going. Um, and like really confused and sad and worried is because this is really, um, some people have been calling it a culture war. So Trump has created a culture war around mask wearing. And 
it's it's crazy um that what seems to be this kind of benign community focused uh act and gesture of of good goodwill towards others which is you know put a mask on to protect other people from you spreading the virus to them has been um kind of taken on this life of of no it's my freedom of speech and if i don't want to wear one and you know or my freedom of expression and i don't have to do it first amendment blah 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 it's also i know wrapped up in a lot of these kind of crazy conspiracy theories that we see coming particularly out of like the QAnon camp but has been spread you know widely by various uh politicians at various levels but we see this oh it's this broad coordinated scheme to deprive you of liberty and and to take over the government and i you know my whole opinion on conspiracies um being somebody who's worked actively in collaboration where like you have people who want to work together and they can't um that conspiracies fall apart pretty quickly because yeah people suck at collaborating people suck at doing it like they're not good at coordinating with each other so like if we have this grand spirit conspiracy where all these people are supposed to be working in in together it's not likely happening because people are not good at this even in the best of circumstances so that's kind of just where it like pragmatically um falls apart for me and you know so anyway but yeah so this thing that has been recommended that other countries around the world are doing have done in various outbreaks of viruses and um it it seems to have gotten to be this thing that in the united states we we we've drawn a line in the sand so to speak um and it's like you either put on a mask to protect other people or you don't um because you don't believe in it and i don't know um I don't know. It's pretty, it's pretty wild for me, but we, one thing that I woke up to this morning that was going viral on Twitter was a man, um, being videoed, uh, you know, and he's looking, he's a youngish, middle-ish, youngish <laughs> aged man, uh, kind of shouting at this other person who's videoing him saying, I feel threatened. I feel threatened. And he like has his arms down and his chest puffed up and he's like bull stancing this other person um and then he starts charging at him and he starts swearing at him and um apparently at least part of the backstory that you can't tell before the camera was turned on is that there was an elderly woman at the store who had asked this gentleman to stay six feet away uh and that you know told him that chided him that he should be wearing a mask and he started you know disagreeing <laughs> or whatever with the woman and then this other man uh who was standing next to her you know kind of started sticking up to her and that's the man who started filming and um and then that's what we see so that was the video that was trending when um on this morning on twitter when it said i feel threatened um and then and then the bonus the bonus piece for me was that not only was that beautiful piece of white fragility uh you know um on display for us all uh but then it happened right here in fort myers just absolutely amazing uh that this is my backyard i mean it's not like i know 
I know why it's like that. It's because, um, again, Trump has made this mask thing a culture war, and there's a lot of people who just kind of buy into that here. And we have a system of, you know, local power elites who are hitching their wagon to the Trump train, every single one of them, even, you know, those that you think may be moderate are are going all gung-ho on it. Um, and they've been, you know, told that this is, they got to fight for this. And so he's, there's this man in a friggin' Costco fighting for his freedom against an old lady and another man for asking to put on a mask to protect because as we already know to people who are our seniors are in that vulnerable and high risk category they probably also have you know at least some of the pre-existing conditions and the underlying health conditions that would make them uh, doubly vulnerable um and so I, I mean i just can't i just can't believe that that's where we're at where we've got people in this community who are so hyped up about about this, you know, fighting tyranny in their own backyard or however they frame it themselves, that they're charging people in a in a Costco and then using this veil of I feel threatened because somebody told you to put on a mask because there's a there's an old woman who doesn't want to die because of your negligence. I mean, come on, give me a break, buddy. I, I just it's it's horrible, you know, and it's there's a few things that have been going on that have been like hit, kind of hitting home to me. There's a handful of things that have been happening to me recently that that really just just kind of have orbiting around me with these issues and bringing them even further into my attention and focus. So you know that this morning was the you know what are we kind of, what are we calling this guy Costco Carl or Costco Ken? Who knows? I I don't necessarily want to use the pejorative, but we don't know his name. Um, but, uh, you know, chargey McCharger, you know, whatever. So we got that guy right here in Fort Myers. Um, and then over the weekend, uh, at the end of last week, I think is when the incident actually happened. There was, uh, the woman in, uh, in Michigan, this so happened to be at the mall I used to work in <laughs> right out of high school, um, who pulled a gun on a black woman and her children after some kind of altercation where they were bumped into each other going in and out of the restaurant and and who knows exactly again this is where you get you get the film part of it and then there was like a little bit ahead of time but apparently after the investigation there was somebody had bumped into somebody and then people who were hurt feelings and words were exchanged and then this uh this black woman and her children were walking and the the white a uh, couple in their car, uh, you know, hit reverse and and almost hit the little girl, and so the 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 woman, you know, kind of hit the back of her car um, as she was, you know, almost being run over by them. So that was, uh, and like I said, so that happened at the the mall that I worked at in high school. Uh, the woman. Um, who's now, by the way, been charged with assault, which absolutely, if at a ridiculous altercation like that, you jump out of your car and pull your gun on people and start shouting at them. I mean, 
yeah, like you're threatening their life with a, with a weapon. And these people are unarmed. There's nothing, they're not coming at them and going to fight or anything. So they're standing back. They're mad. Yeah, absolutely. They're mad. But um, I, I just, the, the, the way that, that these people have been so imbibed with fear that they take a, you know, an, a simple, you know, little bumping altercation at a mall and are flailing their gun around. And so not only has the, the woman been charged with felony assault, but her husband, who uh, was uh, working at Oakland University, which is actually where I did my first year of university uh, and then transferred to Michigan State afterwards, um, he was fired uh, for his role in all of that. Um, and they are living in the town that my parents live in. So again, so here's now we have this kind of, you know, mishmash of, um, you know, this gun violence, racially charged incidents, um, you know, whatever second amendment, right. Kind of thing all rolled up and it's, it's, it's in my hometown. So now I have, you know, Costco Carl and, you know, this, this other lady with the gun at, at the mall, um, happening in places that I have really specific connections to. I'll go a step further about how all of these events of the day are swirling around me. Um, in, I think I might have mentioned in previous broadcasts and I mentioned quite broadly, uh, before, but that someone very close to my family has tested positive for COVID-19. And um, this person has also been here and been uh, in close proximity to my children, including my vulnerable daughter. Now, this has, if you can imagine, has sent me just absolutely into a tailspin um, and, I, you know, causing me to be extremely upset. And uh, because there's no reason that it should happen, right? So somebody um, who has the choice to stay socially distant and, uh, you know, can choose to wash their hands and can choose to use uh, hand sanitizer and can choose to, uh, you know, wear a mask and doesn't during a pandemic uh, is extremely problematic for me, especially when that person is going to be around and in proximity and potentially in fact a vulnerable child or if in fact the children who live with the vulnerable child um so i am just extremely upset about that um especially because there was um you know evidence that this person who was coming in contact with my family was out um, at the bars during our lull uh, in or lapse in judgment, let's call it that, our lapse in judgment, where we where the bars and restaurants were open, and and there he was, right out there, out there doing it, having drinks with buddies and and whatever. And you know, I think you know that there are some people who made those choices, and that's fine choices for them. And there are some people who are low risk, and that's fine for them. Um, there are some people who may have even engaged in that behavior and they were safe about it and that's fine with them. But, you know, if you're coming in contact with somebody who is vulnerable and that's the choice that you make, that's very disturbing. Um, and so 
that had happened to my family over the last couple of weeks. And it's had me extremely upset. And um, now the good news is, the good news is, is that despite the complete recklessness and carelessness and negligence of this person who uh, potentially exposed my children to COVID-19, um, we seem to have been through the the risk period, the incubation period, um, um, and everybody seems to be fine. So I'm extremely grateful for that. I think we're just lucky, frankly. I'm probably going to cry here, but I think we're just lucky that we got through. Um, but it's it's awful to um, be worried about the life of your child because there are people around you who choose themselves and their leisure over their life. And so, um, whew, let me breathe for a moment there. But I think that that's just another component of this really hitting home for me is that, yeah, we have to be very cognizant of, of what's going on. Um, and, you know, it's making me even more of a fighter around what we need to do to get through this pandemic um, and, and how we can prepare better. Because I still am 100% of the position that if we had had proper leadership, proper coordinated strategy from the federal level on down, if we didn't have Trump and Bannon, who systematically eroded the, the structures of our government, systematically took people out of positions, left positions unfilled in the name of deconstructing the deep state, quote unquote, for some fantasy of conspiracy and leaving us vulnerable under the lack of leadership around the game show host president that we have, we wouldn't be sitting not even on the precipice of disaster, but way over the threshold of disaster at the hands of the biggest failure in history. I've said it. I made a hashtag on it. This will absolutely go down. The, the American response to COVID-19 is going to go down as the biggest failure in history. And you know whose feet that falls at? Donald J. Trump. And his administration his buying into conspiracy theories, his leadership of deconstructing our government systems, his lack of coordination with the states, his competitive behavior with the states, and the way that he has left cities, municipalities, and people in this country to flap in the wind dealing with a pandemic. Every other country, except for, by the way, Brazil, whose president today, Jair Bolsonaro tested positive for the disease that he doesn't think exists, COVID-19. So good, good, good to be in lockstep with that guy. Um, every other country has managed to take a turn down because they were able to have not only coordinated strategy, so like the real components of governing underway, but then actual leadership. And that's where Again, this is going to be the biggest failure in history because of this, because not only of the technical components of government that are missing, but the fact that 
we've been led into this crazy ass culture war around wearing a mask instead of having somebody unite our nation under a unified message of American solidarity and community spirit and care for your neighbors. Because that's what this really comes down to. And, you know, we can argue about whether or not it's appropriate to have a mandate for masks. And I've seen some pretty um, good thoughts on this as to why it's it can be very problematic, particularly with the social movement and Black Lives Matter around a mandate, because then it can be just another way to, um, you know, basically target and arrest Black people. So I, I understand that. But that's why, again, it goes back to leadership for me. We could have had coordinated leadership, everybody just being on board, just, you know, encouraging everybody to stay home, encouraging everybody to wear masks and just everybody hang tight for this short period of time. And then we could have moved through it and it would be managed. But we didn't. We didn't do that because this is the biggest failure in history. And we're going to see it for years to come. And so I'm at this point where all my training, every single thing that I know about how we should handle public health issues and how we should have coordinated responses during a pandemic or other crisis are out the window because we we don't know what to do anymore because what we should have done wasn't done. And we're so far down the road that almost anything that we do at this point doesn't even matter. I've heard that, you know, people are talking about contract tracing and things like that, but I heard that it, that is only really works in a locality. If you have less than 30,000 cases, well, we're, we've blown that out of the water in a week in Florida. So we can't even do that anymore because it doesn't matter, you know? Um, And so it's, it's a big problem and we really have to be cognizant of it. And at this point in time, we are, um, on our own, we need to take care of one another to the best of our ability because the government isn't going to help us. But just keep in mind that this is the biggest failure in history. Having these big issues of the day swirling on around me is just that I have to act. I have to act. And I have to use the voice and the knowledge that I have to share with others um, so that we can do better and do better for one another moving forward. These kinds of things compel me to use my, you know, my skills to, to talk and break down issues for people and, and to work to find commonalities and common ground between people. These are, these are things that I bring to the table. And, and so as well as just helping to share that story, to try to get people to understand just a little bit more about what's going on and try to diffuse these very challenging situations and try to compel us all to be better together. There was, um, not, personally related, but I guess another one of these um, things related to major issues of the day that's hitting close to home for us here in Fort Myers is um, there was the recent passing of a a girl, a high school student here um, who actually um, was known and was friends with some of the youth at the 
keep Robert E. out of Lee youth group that I was helping to organize and coordinate their efforts for the permanent removal of the Robert E. Lee statue. And so this, um, this young woman uh, was uh, ill. She did have the, the coronavirus. She was somebody who had uh, previous medical issues. She apparently had cancer as a child and um and had ongoing immune issues um it's very similar uh situation um to how my you know my child is my my daughter is and um it, it just really it just really bothered me so the situation with so with her so she had previous immune issues and uh, she was exposed to the coronavirus. So, you know, we got word last week that she had passed away and it was very sad. She's, uh, you know, one of the first pediatric cases here in Southwest Florida uh, to have passed and everybody's very sad about it. Now, what we came out and what hit the news yesterday was that, that she was potentially intentionally exposed to the virus. And um, that her mother had encouraged her to go to a large church youth gathering that was, quote, dubbed a uh, dubbed a COVID-19 party, you know, with the intention of uh, uh, exposing the kids to it with the idea that they're going to get better. So this young woman went to that church gathering and then was came home, got sick, uh, you know, a short period afterwards, uh, her mother just thought she had a cold or something, and so started to self-treat her. Um, gave her an antibiotic. Um, also, apparently administered um, uh, her grandfather's oxygen to her, um, as well as the drug um, that Donald Trump had been touting, and has since been uh, banned and revoked for use by the FDA in terms of COVID-19. Um, so she had gotten, was it hydrochlory, whatever, the stupid drug that Trump kept talking about. Um, so she had gotten, uh, some of that and was also administering that to her daughter. Um, and then after a while she started to look great and ill, uh, and then finally reluctantly took her to the children's hospital where at the children's hospital, she, um, they recommended intubation. The mother, uh, the parents decided against that for several days, uh, trying to um, do other treatments. She got what was described in the news as a plasma treatment, which I think was probably could have very well been the same um, immune support treatment that my daughter would receive. And uh, she received that and uh, didn't get better. Her situation deteriorated. And then she was finally flown to a children's hospital in Miami where she succumbed to the illness. The thing that's really alarming about this is that both of the parents apparently were um, in the medical field and they were um, still acting in this manner, uh, this seemingly irresponsible manner. Um, and there were some indications that this woman was a believer. The mother uh, was a believer of the QAnon conspiracy theories around it, um, despite her medical training. Um, and this may have uh, convinced her to go down this path that ultimately led to the death of her child, which is nothing short of tragic. 
tragic for the child whose life was cut short because of these decisions. But, you know, I think this is something that that mother is going to have to, you know, live with for the rest of her life. I mean, there are people who are calling for additional investigation and, and you know, negligence and, and her to be held accountable for that. Because this all, the reason that this came out was because this was in the medical examiner's report um, of her death. And so this was, this is a pretty serious situation. Um, I know that the parents are, you know, having, I'm sure, grieving and, but they're going to look back at this and, and we're all going to be looking at this situation and, and see exactly how dangerous it is to have conspiracy theories and people who are pushing conspiracy theories, um, wagging people essentially. So it's, it's terrible. It's very, very terrible in this respect. And, um, you know, Carson, you, you didn't deserve this. And um, I'm sorry that you're gone and you don't get to live and fulfill out your life um, because of these choices. But I guess I can say that I will continue to fight for kids like you to make sure that you have the access to health care that you need. And I will continue to fight for truth um, in all of this, because if we can get back to truth and fact and in humanity, um, then we will be better for it. So I'm going to keep fighting for all of our kids. All right. So now I see our guest calling in. And we will let her come in the studio here, Catherine. Hello, Catherine, are you there? Hi, can you oh, hear me? Yes, we can hear you, fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you so much. It's been a saga to get on here technologically and I'm so thankful to uh, have your patience with that and to be here with you. I'm really excited to talk to you. I've been listening Absolutely. this throughout oh. this time. And uh, so, yeah, thank you so much again for having me on. Absolutely. My pleasure. I know it's always a journey. Um, and technology <laughs> is one of those things that's fantastic when it works well. And then there are the other times. <laughs> well, honestly, just... I don't know if it's like so many people are using things right now or I don't know. It's just like not not my definitely not my business as usual, I guess. And also, you know, having children at home, as you know, oh, yeah. COVID-19 makes everything oh, yeah, a little absolutely. bit more tenuous as far as your time constrictions on problem solving. So, yes, I feel that one like deep in my soul. <laughs> Like deep in well, my and soul, I, I feel I'm really that. concerned, uh, and I'll be continuing to hold your family in my thoughts and your daughter, especially. I'm sorry to hear that you had an exposure. Yeah, to we COVID. did. I'm um, really sorry. Yeah, and it's like I would it's inevitable, it, you know, but yeah. it's still so scary. Yeah, I would describe it as a reckless and negligent exposure. Um, right. And, uh, you know, I think that the only way that I'm kind of really able to talk about it now even is that we were, we're out of that that exposure period. So we've kind okay. of, you know, I was checking the kids' temperatures every single day, checking for symptoms. Um, and wow. now we're past that, you know, 14-day kind of, you know, quarantine, uh, you know, milestone. I don't even know how to describe it. Gotcha. But, yeah. So we're, 
benchmark. We're out of that. that so that's like, that's you know, good, and it, right? So. It shows you though, how much, you know, we kind of get like you, you know, habituated to the new normal. So you don't have it on your mind, you know, nobody can live in that kind of hypervigilance for so long, but this is the kind of hypervigilance, like what you just went through with your family, that a lot of these senior citizens are like experiencing every single day, every single time they go to the grocery store, you know, because they know they're vulnerable. And it's like, when you know, you know, when you have that right face to face, it's like, like you said, it can send you into a tailspin. And this has mm-hmm. been the reality of like seniors in our state for months. And then of course, anybody that's immunocompromised, um, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just, it's like a ticking time bomb. And I mean, I've had so many people reach out to me and just say like, it's hard for me to get by thinking about like spending my golden years in isolation, oh, you know? Yeah. And it's like the amount of stress, the collective stress that this is causing on our, on our, you know, on our uh, nation, on the world right now is kind mm-hmm. of, um, it's kind of incredible to think about and, uh, to represent those people yourself even more so with someone in your family that, that is, uh, vulnerable, even more vulnerable. Mm-hmm. It's just another reason why you can represent the interests of our, our community, so much better than people that call these just these quote unquote cases, you know, just a number. Mm -hmm. It's like so dehumanizing. It's just blatant. Yeah. It's awful. And actually I was just looking at a, a comment on um, the Facebook post I made about um, the young woman Carson and her passing and not Uh only just her passing, but her, her parents Mm-hmm. desire to send her to the COVID party and all that stuff. There's uh, um, somebody who, yeah, I've been connected with quite a bit through my work in our community. And he's now a teacher. Um, and he was saying that he's very worried about this mandate to open the schools because as a teacher, he mm-hmm. is a potential to be exposed, but he is, you know, in close contact with uh, his daughter who has brain cancer And, you know, and any exposure that he has is going to expose her because he's helping to take care of her and her, her young uh, children. Oh, right. And then on top of it, to have the Florida GOP leadership that we have tell us misinformation so that we can't Uh even really be responsible for our own choices is really the icing on the cake that I find like even more offensive, you know, they are talking about personal responsibility, take, you know, making the right choice for businesses and individuals on that level, rather than man, you know, rather than having our state mandate, um, safety precautions that have been proven to work. They're talking about individual personal responsibility, but at the same time, they're, they're not being transparent in our sunshine state about what the data is actually, that is real, you know, and we should not have to sift through this as citizens on top of everything else that we're going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How do exactly. you find your best? Where do you find the best information for COVID-19? Do you have like a source? And I've been using it. I check every day. <laughs> but, okay. um, I yeah. check a combination of what the actual, um, what the state dashboard is. And, you know, since the, the departure of Dr. Rebecca Jones, it's, you know, right. it's very, you know, hit, hit or miss and they, they, they don't release it as early as they used to. And as frequently as they used to, um, but they still have, at least it's kind of comparing the, what they, they're putting out 
But then I actually check uh, Dr. Rebecca Jones' um, alternative version of the dashboard that she recreated on her own using all of the actual data necessary. Um, and what right. her information that I really like is uh, she gives um, uh, additional information on whether or not we're meeting the CDC guidelines for, re for, for reopening, um, some percentages, relative okay. percentages of increases by county, as well okay. as the hospitalization rates and the death rates and the positivity rates, which are not clear on the state dashboard. Right. And is that supposed to be like 0.05 or 0.5% transmission? 0 0.2? like 5%, less than 5% transmission rate or something? Is that the benchmark we're supposed to be looking at as far as like, do you know what I'm Off the about? top of my head, I don't know about the transmission okay. rate. Um, I okay. do know that there's, we have a, a really high positivity rate. So we went from mm -hmm. like, I believe it was like a 5% positivity rate. So of the people who are testing, mm -hmm. that's what it was. And now I think last yesterday when I was looking at it, it was about 12% which is wow. like just an indicator of, you know, massive community spread. How many people are there out with it? Yeah. Right. And that's just how mm -hmm. many more. So it's, it's, it's crazy. Um, but anyway, so listen, we got, we jumped right into it and I love that, but let's talk about you. <laughs> let's like give you yeah. a proper introduction here. Thank so you so this much. Is, yeah. Catherine Norman. So Catherine, tell us uh, who you are, <laughs> what's, what's, uh, what's running, uh, what you're running for. Um, and just give us a little brief introduction and we'll talk a little bit about your district. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yes. I, my name is Catherine Norman. I want to say hello to everyone on this, uh, on this podcast and also especially Sarasota and Charlotte counties. Um, my district 23 in the Florida Senate represents all of Sarasota County and part of Charlotte County. And I'm running as a candidate for transparency, accountability, our environment, and an economy that's thriving for everybody. I'm a mother of two children, both of whom were born in Sarasota and go to school here. My, uh, I'm a lifelong Sarasota resident and an entrepreneur. I am not a career politician, and I was not intending to to enter the political arena as a candidate. But when I saw just how desperate our community was for leadership that was non-biased and that had our interests at heart and the independent voice of Sarasota and Charlotte counties, I took this opportunity to run. And I'm very proud to be representing this movement as part of candidates across, the, across Florida that are standing up with true, authentic, accountable, diverse backgrounds and the leadership that I've encountered with Dr. Cindy Bonnier and other amazing leaders just inspires me more that we um, need to say that this year really is, is enough and really beyond what any normal citizen should ever have to deal with as far as weeding through what should be our accountable sunshine state laws. When I went to Tallahassee to lobby senators and representatives on behalf of the environment, I was truly astonished to find how little they knew about the issues that were taking place. And hmm. I think it's time for politics to open up to everybody. It's been too divisive and too overwhelming. My my goal is to take back the veil and say that we have accountable leadership through having people that are di from diverse backgrounds and that are dedicated 
citizens and not bought off interests and um, exploiting the system for their own individual benefit. And I'm, I'm trying to uh, do my best to take this opportunity to hear from everybody in Sarasota and Charlotte counties and continue to do what I've always done as a citizen now as a candidate, which is advocate for the least advantaged people in our community to the best of my abilities, including the environment and especially the yeah. environment. Yeah, yeah, we need to speak on behalf of the environment. And, and I love um, that you bring that passion to it. You know, I think that there's, you're absolutely right, we need people from diverse backgrounds with diverse perspectives um, in leadership positions. And we need people mm-hmm. who are passionate about issues that are, you know, engaged and educated on them and, and can talk about them uh, with, you know, passion and pride. And I think that you're absolutely right to point out how few people who are running uh, or currently sitting in the state legislature, particularly amongst the Republicans, who are actually educated on environmental issues. And um, they just kind of get told what to do by their interests and they do it. And, um, you know, and they're vacant and they're, and they're banking on our complacency too. You know, because it's so overwhelming to take part in the political process. Nobody should have to, you know, stay up in the middle of the night to follow a legislation tracker with random updates Mm -hmm. to try to follow an issue. You know, that's deliberately over. That's deliberately precludes people from getting involved. And most people at this point. Yeah. They don't even know who their legislators are, what legislation Mm -hmm. is is up, how they Mm -hmm. voted, because it it's. Nobody can have their own life going on, let alone, like I said, the least advantaged people among us to get involved. Like they have the time to go on amongst two jobs and children and the lives that Mm -hmm. we lead here so that they can also be involved with policies that have their interests at stake, you know, but they don't get to be stakeholders. And so we have to be stakeholders for them. Yeah. Not exploitative of them. Yeah, I love that what you said about that they're banking on our complacency because you're right. Mm-hmm. Like, and and it's it's I think it's more that it's more than that too. So yes, they're banking on our complacency, but they're also banking on making it hard to engage. Just like you said, right. you know, if you're you know you're putting last minute amendments that don't even you know get voted on on what and otherwise you can't even read be a, unless you're a lawyer, yeah, right? They, you don't understand, or they're trying to flip it. Now, that's what I understand about the Clean Waterways Act um, mm-hmm. that was just signed recently that was touted as this great yeah, bipartisan. and then all of a sudden it can go 180. 180. Uh-huh. Yeah. And be well, the tell opposite. us a little about that one. Well, I actually don't know, but I mean, I followed legislation that was very similar, like in the, in terms of being one way. And then all of a sudden it's literally a different, like like lobby interest group gets involved and they're often spearheaded by the same agenda. Like, you know, some loosely like, uh, abstract environmental cause, you know, but really it's owned by like bull sugar. (laughs) <laughs> and then they go in and they say, no, it's okay for the developers to do this actually. Yeah. But I mm-hmm. actually, that, that legislation, um, I'll definitely put on my radar. Um, what I've been following, uh, pertains a lot. I mean, obviously that's probably statewide, but there's, there's, um, yeah, I mean, there's just, it's really an avalanche, you know, mm-hmm. and, and to oh, yeah. be involved like you and I are, and for me to say, like, I don't even know what you're talking about is like, really, it's just, is an example, it's a case in point, you know? Yeah. 
There's yeah. so much well, to follow. You can't possibly, it's hard. Be, you know, really do it by yourself. So we have these advocacy organizations, but then yep. those are often um, volunteer and yep. oh, like lack enforcement agency. So it's right. like, we're chasing, we're behind the ball and it's been set up against us like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, do you, when you have pi- powerful financial But tell interest, me more about that. Well, so what I understand, so it, it didn't, um, it passed and then there was some Mm -hmm. kind of last minute amendment right before the vote, um, that kind of went under the radar. And this was like coming up to the end of session and everybody's like running around Mm -hmm. and just, and there was a preemption for the rights of nature that was put in, meaning that no individual locality, uh, you know, can declare the rights of nature which is a big movement, environmental movement around the state of Florida to, and to why, give. And yeah, to, nature has rights. And why yeah, are nature the preemptions coming from our Republican, you know, lawmakers anyway? Mm. Oh, that's right? a really good question. Because what about, you like, know, home rule and yeah. all those, that kind of stuff too? Like uh, we, we were supposed exactly. to be totally decentralized and letting the, the people decide, right? That's the whole concept behind right. uh, small government, local isn't it? governance. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And yeah, yet we're seeing that. the hypocrisy come straight through with preemption mm-hmm. on banning plastic straws, which my opponent, mm-hmm. Joe Gruders, just sat the vote out because mm-hmm. Sarasota County was so informed on that and couldn't possibly, you know, vote in support of that. But he did vote in support of a preemption against banning oxybenzone and other chemicals known to kill our coral reefs. Mm-hmm. And so Key West did their very best to enact an ordinance to ban that from being present in their area specifically. And mm-hmm. the state of Florida decided that they would rather prioritize the cosmetic industry and the lack of regulation on the FDA than the, you know, the health of our citizens, which is uh, the health of our citizens and the health of our waterways. And you and I mm-hmm. know those are really the same. You know, like if we don't Mm -hmm. like the basic of public health is a good environment. We can't be healthy without our environment. And we are all living here under that innate knowing because we want to live in Florida because of its inherent value to us as humans and the the value and the connection that we have with nature. And that's being like robbed and exploited Mm -hmm. and uh, and short-sighted, so short-sighted. And I think that's why... I think we cannot allow a microcosm of interest like the Florida GOP has become such a mm-hmm. small group of microcosm interests that we can't, you know, we, you can't challenge the status quo if you are the status quo. <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> mm-hmm. And yeah, it's, it's terrible. And I love that you said that it's, it's, it's short-sighted because it is, it's, it's self-interested and short-sighted. And that's how we got into these big big problems that we have with climate change, with environmental degradation, with just environmental justice issues around, Mm -hmm. you know, using particular neighborhoods that happen to be, you know, filled with black and brown people as our dumping grounds for decades. And then these same people have health problems and they have, you know, poor care. Oh yeah. And Um, then we're going to, and then we're going to blame them for for their lack of ability to have good jobs, you know, because their kids are sick. Yeah, and the mothers that bear the brunt of that. We we would benefit as a society in ways that we can't even imagine if we right. operated with basic human dis- dignity, really. 
you know? Yeah. Fascinating thing to think about. If you just treat other people <laughs> with respect and, you know, value common, you know, public goods yeah. and treat and what, them with that respect, then we would have a much stronger society overall. Right. And I feel that way about homelessness, which is really mm-hmm. a problem in Sarasota County. And um, we have been labeled nationally as worst to homeless people. Huh. And I, um, I, it's a, it's really a stigma in this area and we are so wealthy in this area, um, to be, to be doing that. And, um, basically it's like, if we didn't, if we didn't, if we instead had housing first and Uh had these people in, you know, and it's, again, it's like the numbers game. It's like having to qualify Uh that in economic terms is really insulting Uh to the human dignity of those individuals. But even if you did, it's still beneficial. So like, yep. that's why to me, it's like our society has just so many unknown benefits. If we would just enact policies in alignment with our, with our inherent pro-social, why we have a society at all is because we right. decided that we were going to help one another. So we were able to establish the written language communities, you know, irrigation mm-hmm. and all the things that mm-hmm. allowed our cultures to have the foundation that they needed to thrive to the extent that we have technology, elections, mm-hmm. democracy, and communication. And I'm definitely yeah. proud to be here in this opportunity that I have, but when it's right in our backyard, like you're saying with the economic and environmental issues coming to a head, here in Sarasota County, there's there's a neighborhood called Newtown, which is traditionally African American, brown individuals, um, Hispanic individuals, and it's basically they took what was a former dumping ground of radioactive materials and nuclear waste and rezoned mm. it for housing, mm. while simultaneously not taking the zoning considerations to the surrounding areas into account and allowing construction materials to gather in those areas to the extent that fugitive dust, toxic waste from these construction zones was going into the air as fugitive Mm. dust and causing asthma rates in that area four times Mm. as much as anywhere else in Sarasota County. These young black children were dying of preventable asthma diseases in Sarasota Memorial Hospital Mm. where, you know, where we have wealthy people, you know, having their babies in a multi-million dollar redone maternal Mm. wing we, you know, it's, it's the disparity is, is, is so blatant. And I remember when I went down and I found out for the first time after studying the fugitive dust issue with the environmental caucus of Sarasota County Democrats, Barbara Klein, she is a powerhouse. She's the president of the environmental caucus of Sarasota County Democrats. And she went down to Sarasota city council meetings to, to city hall and said, where are the road improvements that you promised us 10 years ago? And we as individuals had to get involved and provide oversight to the government in our local area to make sure that they did the basic requirements of, I mean, so basic, planting trees around this construction area to make sure that the dust didn't go right into the cityways, mm-hmm. to make sure that they watered it down so that dust didn't pile over a VPA uh, performing arts school. Mm-hmm. That was char- like a chart that it's a school that Sarasota built specifically in Newtown to raise the demographic up and to allow them to have um, access to quality education. That mm. school was being literally covered with fugitive dust every day, mm. made of toxic 
construction chemicals happening mm-hmm. right in our black backyard, right under our noses, because mm-hmm. they're banking on our complacency. They're banking on our complacency. Yep. Yeah, you're right. And in Fort Myers, um, it's the Dunbar community that's a traditional, it was a segregated part of town. It's still like 86% black. Um, and what the city had done for years here was dump their wastewater treatment um, sludge there. Wow. And it had polluted the groundwater with arsenic and a handful of other chemicals. And um, and so it, it caused a lot of problems. Um, and it was like children were playing on it directly, too. And the right. city, uh, a group of people sued the city to try to get them to fix it. And then there was you know, mm-hmm. some culpability and, and they kind of half-assed fixed it. And, and then they're like, okay, everything's cool now. Like, you know, everyone's like, no, well, that's, not, that's, not. And again, really. we as citizens are responsible for continual oversight on these issues, or we can expect that they're going to try to exploit it again. I mean, I remember yeah. when I went to Mosaic, uh, it, it was right after the sinkhole incident in Mulberry in 2016. Mm-hmm. So Mm -hmm. we were, or early 2017, we were at the county, Manatee County Courthouse saying in a protest, you know, water is life. We cannot allow them to pollute our, our, you know, we're not going to give them a permit in Manatee County. And the Mm -hmm. water really affects our entire state. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, it's not just, it's not just a county wide thing. So obviously I went from Sarasota County to to Manatee County to support this. And we won that day. They were unable to get the permit, but it was just because the public was so involved because of that very public, very scandalous and reckless sinkhole Mm -hmm. in Mulberry. But then two years later, they got their permit. Yeah, because they can. They have the money to keep trying. Because they have the they money to buy the politicians, trying. and that's what they want to do. They want to make the money. Absolutely, yep, and they wait. And it's and it's hard for citizens to be engaged all the time. So yeah, when we have to keep our you know politicians in line from handing away our public goods to private interests, it's exhausting. And we should really be Absolutely. able to trust our government officials to work on our behalf and to get the government structures and our infrastructure working in a way so that it just hums in the background doing its job for us that's that's the ideal situation from my perspective and that we shouldn't have to you know bring the cavalry with every single thing because they keep trying to pull one a fast one on us they're banking on our complacency absolutely Absolutely. i was gonna say i want to reel back to the like a full-time job yeah it is I want to reel back to homelessness just for a moment because I don't even know mm-hmm. if we talked about this previously, but I have a I have a history here in Southwest Florida of of homeless services. I started a nonprofit uh, several wow. years ago that I ran for five years in Cape Coral, uh, providing wow. uh, transitional housing for homeless families. And through Amazing. that, I learned a heck of a lot on on mm-hmm. this system of care, on the, what they call the continuum of care, right? Um, right? And how these organizations work together, and how the the social services and social workers and hospitals and mental health and food banks and, and, you know, the shelters kind of all work together to try to help people who are really having hard times. Um, And, you know, I learned that we don't have the best systems uh, and that, you know, there are people who are Mm -hmm. working hard and then there are people who think that it's just okay the way that it is. But I was very Mm -hmm. fortunate to um, 
have that as well as like have some good uh, people, you know, in the construction industry who help to rebuild and refurbish the houses for homeless people. So, you know, there's there are good people in various industries, but it's, a lot of it has to come up with the regulations. But one of the things right. that I learned and one of the, the most amazing um, things that I learned in our region, and I was actually I've worked on homeless issues across the United States as well, by the way, uh, doing wow, this collective impact. I've, yeah. I've studied, uh, I studied transients, um, as part of like a government, um, influence into our society and like how people are moving much more than they ever have in our society mm-hmm. and how that affects our government in a similar ways as homelessness. But I mean, really, um, but yeah, I would love to hear more about what you, what you learned and what happened with yeah. the organization. Well, it's just that there's, because most of these organizations are, they're running, you know, it's very, they're very, you know, short budgeted and short staff, right? So there's a necessity yeah. of collaboration. And, you know, your Charlotte County is in your district, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Charlotte County is actually one of the best examples I've come across of homeless service coordination in the country. And, um, they, you know, it's a smaller area. It's, it's largely rural. So that's a little different. So I actually used that cause I was working on uh, homeless issues in Iowa, um, and was using the case of Charlotte County of like how other rural, largely rural counties address this. Um, wow. and you know, they actually achieved zero homelessness for veterans, um, in 2016, which basically just means wow. it didn't, it doesn't mean that there's like forever and ever because it's like an ongoing issue right but that means that they actually align their systems so that as soon as somebody comes to experience homelessness that they there's a place for them to go and that there's coordinated care all along the way um and i I think that one the thing that's interesting is when you say that sarasota county has a lot of issues related to this and there's this kind of um there's a lot of people with money in there and that's part of, you know, you would think that if there's more money in an area that there would be more services. More services. Yeah. What I've actually found is it's the opposite. The reason that Charlotte County is so successful at collaboration around some of these big issues is because they have less overall. You, there's a necessity to collaborate to achieve anything right. because they don't have this influx. They're not Naples. They're not Sarasota. Right. And so, you know, these smaller organizations, they have to work together to address people. So they did an amazing thing with data. I could go on and on about it. Cause I actually was going to write a whole paper on it, but they, they mm-hmm. but they, they used data in forms. So they started, you know, setting up tracking systems, they built collaboration and they were people focused on how they were going to address the issue. And they, they, they actually reduced their chronic homelessness because of their data informed approach um, from something like a couple hundred to in under, you know, in the tens um, by addressing it one by one in a very data informed collaborative and systematic way. And like I said, I will, I will tell them. And now, so now it was Charlotte County homeless coalition and now they're part of a broader, uh, the Gulf coast partnerships, uh, which manages the, the continuum of care there, but they, they have done a great job with that and continue to do so um, in ways that I just love. Cause I love being data informed, but you know, and so we like, do have great examples in our backyard. That's wonderful to learn about too. And and also, yeah, there's people that care in this area too, mm-hmm. you know, where there's, it's like, I think it, that the government could really reflect more of the citizen amount of care than it does, you know, because it's like you, when you talk to people, 
nobody wants anybody in their community to be homeless, you know? So it's like, where does the gap, where is the translation lost when it comes to government officials? But I think that the idea that they have is that they don't, I mean, they're really just, as far as I can see, pretty blatantly bought by developers and not really interested in the values of the constituents anyway at all. You know, it's like, we are campaigning to bring the values of our constituency to the forefront and other people are campaigning to tell constituents what to do or, you know, (laughs) how to live and how they're going to live and what they deserve. Mm -hmm. No. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I hate that part, that what they deserve. And this has been a big thing for me, especially at the federal level, right, is this means testing that says, okay, we have public services and it's for you because you deserve it. But not these people. They don't deserve it. And what always kills me about and going back to the kind of hypocrisy around these small government Republicans, right, is that the more that you put in that kinds of means testing uh, to only give the deserving you know, government programs and subsidies and help is that it becomes more costly and more overhead mm-hmm. intensive. Yeah, and they really, they really, critical care seem, costs. right, right. They only seem to do it too, by the way, when it comes to things like social programs, right? If we look at what they did with the PPP and how people like Kanye West mm-hmm. and Jared Kushner oh, and, and, I don't jo- and Joe Gruders, my opponent, oh, did he get some of that PPP money yeah. too? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Wow. Isn't that nice? Fascinating. Oh yeah. Well, his constituents beg for unemployment on this outdated website. Right. And then wouldn't reconvene to try to address it and have accountability. So he was getting some, some fat checks from this, from the government, huh? Mm -hmm. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Because that's what makes your, your run here. Uh, really amazing. So not only are you part of that amazing cohort of people across the state of Florida, the Democrats that have stepped mm-hmm. up to make sure that there are no seats uncontested, that we're not handing uh, over seats to Republicans anymore, yeah. right? But tell yeah. us about your opponent, because he he's a real humdinger, isn't he? Well, I think that I I'm just majorly disappointed you know, I, you, you never want to believe it. And it's like people, like you said, they want to go, we want to go on autopilot. When Barack Obama was president, I went on autopilot. I thought everything was okay. I did not get involved with local races. You know, I did not find out about issues. And like we've already discussed in this call, this is a long game. Like these okay. people are being bought off by developers over the course of decades. You know, if they can spend a couple hundred thousand dollars in elections and save million dollars on, you know, buying properties, it's worth it, you know? And I just, I was definitely on autopilot myself. And, you know, I think that the problem is not that, it's that there's one of two things. Either Senator Gruders thinks that he's doing the very best good by our, our constituents and he is ex- so misguided in his alignment with with this administration and with corrupt values that he can't see beyond that or he's deliberately manipulating us and simultaneously knows that he he doesn't he doesn't care at all and i'd like to say it's probably like a mix of both in 2014 from everything that i saw uh joe gruder's was a family man with a lifelong stake in Sarasota values. Mm -hmm. 
But when he became the mini Trump in 2014, that was going to basically sell out any and anywhere and anyone that he needed to to stay in alignment with that so that he could continue to be the chair of the GOP and continue to be the co-chair of the re-election committee for this president in our state, which is a huge state nationwide. Mm-hmm. He really demonstrated that he doesn't have a problem with hate speech in our mm-hmm. capital. He doesn't have a problem being racist blatantly. He he's ready to sell out Sarasota values for the values of this quote unquote GOP, which really does not resonate with any of the conservative values in our state anywhere. These are not conservative values. These are not GOP values. Mm-hmm. This is the values of Trump. And unfortunately, Senator Gruders cannot cannot possibly represent us when he represents the values of Trump. Yep. Absolutely. And I think that you're, you, you hit it right on the head there with, uh, with calling out the values of it. Cause it's really, it's not about representing the people. It's about making sure that, that Joe Gruders has the power to do what he wants and to give mm-hmm. out favors to his buddy. And he's I mean, ready Trump- to go into that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Imperialistic and kind of government that nobody yeah. in our democracy wants. Right. I mean, it's all about loyalty, not even to the party, mm-hmm. but to Trump and Trump's right. version of the party. And they use no, financial right. means to keep everybody in line. And we see this all across the state of Florida. If you fall out of line with, with what Joe Gruder wants and what Trump wants, to then you are politically. Yes. And DeSantis, too. They're all in this alignment because they're all Trump cronies. And, um, you know, what Pam Bondi's, you know, at the White House doing her thing now, too, because she had a little look the other way uh, on Trump University. So, you know, it's just it's really disgusting. It's not um, it is not democracy. It is is not American values. And when we're trading, you know, loyalty to a leader uh, instead of democratic processes and justice for people in our districts, I mean, what have we become? Now, I know it's a real oh, big yeah. trope for the, for the Republicans to, to call us and, and to fear monger around communism and socialism and all this other stuff. But if we really, really look at it, and this is, by the way, where I started getting attacked by a couple of the crazies in my area on Twitter. But when I said, listen, communism is a, is a political theory of thought, but what the scary component of it, what everybody rails against is authoritarianism, right? It's... It's this, it's adherence to a specific party, to a specific leader that's scary. And it's, you know, right. it's, it's fascism on the right. And that's what it is. I mean, it's, it's, that's what it's called. So we should be scared. We should be afraid of this authoritarianism because that's what stifles democracy. That's what stifles political oh, participation. Yeah. It's not and an ideology. Exactly- and and that's where I have to wonder, too, is Joe Gruder's, is he, I have to wonder, is he deliberately misleading us? Is he trying to make us believe that he's really a kind person with these good values, but really he actually has sold out completely? You know, is he actually hope, hoping that we will be fearful and overwhelmed enough not to participate? You know, is that his agenda? Is is he banking on our complacency and how much does he know about that or how much is he just selling out? And either way, you know, doesn't represent our values. He's either selling out or deliberately implicit. 
Yep. And, you know, you're right. Banking on our our complacency. And not only that, but, you know, through his role in the state legislature, um, making sure that it's as difficult as possible for people mm-hmm. to be heard. Getting little amendments snuck into an already, you know, yeah. agreed upon bipartisan bill. Holding late night sessions to do mm-hmm. so. Right. And actually in Sarasota County, they've put like fines and um, consequences in place for people challenging the commission here and people like, yeah, they basically to the extent where if you raise up against the government in Sarasota County, you're going to owe this much money if you don't win. And it's so insurmountable. Yeah. Sarasota County has got to be one of the most corrupt um, administrations I've ever, I've ever encountered in my life. And I, um, you know, I'm from here. And so yeah. I'm extremely disappointed. And we uh, like when what you have driven towards. So when you come into con- into contest with people like that, do you feel like you have the opportunity to educate them? Do they not listen really, to honestly. you? Not really. No, not if they're just, you know, calling me a communist Trolls. and just saying, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's not a conversation. It's not like, oh, here's a, you know, here's a, you know, nuanced discussion. No, these people are just attacking to attack and that makes them feel big and strong. And, Uh you know, I, I don't engage with them as much as I I can. Um, you know, sometimes I do call out because one of them is a candidate in my race who's like 50% of his platform is trolling me on Twitter. That's all (laughs) he does. Um, so I, sometimes I call him out, like there was a video of him, um, shouting at the silent, peaceful protesters, black lives matters protesters this weekend, just like mm-hmm. shouting obscenities at them. Like who, who, what is, you know, crazy town, this guy. Um, but you know, oh, yeah. And I mean, I, you know, Alan Ellison, mm-hmm. he yep. is, he has uh, been a tremendous like influence on my campaign and I'm like excited to see and he said that he literally could not debate his opponent because he wouldn't take off his gun to go into church Mm -hmm. i mean that's what we're dealing with people that would rather troll you and waste your time than have anything defining about your real issues oh yeah they're not i can't fight you on that you know Everybody realizes that we want to have a community that's strong and that an environment that's strong and the, and a school system that's strong for our children. And it's like somehow they, they've uh, like um, just corrupted the minds of voters. Um, Perhaps. I mean, I think that, I think the overall, I I'm sad to say, I think the Republican party is much more apt to deliberately distribute misinformation than the mm-hmm. Democratic Party. Yep. Yeah, that bears out in, in Stata, Stata, uh, statistics. In fact, in research as well. But I just wanted to clarify yeah. for our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to clarify for our listeners. Alan Ellison is running for Florida 17. His uh, incumbent is Greg Stubbe. Um, Alan, Alan's district encompasses 
all most some of Catherine's district. Allen's district 17 is got the the northern is on the northern part of my district. Also, Allen and I are part of the No Down Left Behind Coalition. So we've been partnering since last fall with other uh, congressional candidates across the country working to flip deep red districts from red to blue. Um, and actually, if you yes, want to hear more about. Well, <laughs> yeah. um, but if you want to hear more from Alan, um, you can hear the podcast that he and I did. I think it was like our second podcast here um, on Dr. Cindy Speaks. So go ahead and roll back cool. through the archives for that one. Um, cool. And you'll you'll see him and I, uh, he and I coming up on some of the virtual. Oh, my God. I will definitely be looking at that. Yeah. Sarah Cooper is doing the next uh, virtual town hall. Sarah Cooper does the uh, the funny of videos you? of Trump. Yeah, so Alan and I will be oh there with That's all amazing. of the other candidates and no doubt left behind. That's coming up on July 23rd, if you hear this before then. Um, so, And if you don't hear it before then, then you can get the recording afterwards. <laughs> That'll be on my YouTube channel after that. Um, but yeah, so it's it's incredibly important. I'm so very fortunate um, that we're connected, that we're in the same space and time, both you, me, and Alan, kind of working for this you know, South and Central um, part of Florida to bring out the voice and to kind of call out the hypocrisy um, oh, yeah. of the Republican Party, trying I mean, to say they're serving people, but they're they're really trying to misinform people and keep themselves in power. Yeah, I mean, I, I really uh, am sad to find myself like learning about quote unquote, low information voters and quote, you know what I mean? Like I, there's, we all have a responsibility to educate people on on what is is taking place and i think that i definitely stand uh, on my platform as a part to educate and i want to say to the people that have been left behind by this race you know i don't want to the last thing that i would ever want to do is say that anyone had a personal defect because of their political allegiance or alliance. You know, mm-hmm. we are all born into specific perspectives, places, and demographics that influence our ability to advocate for our own interests um, significantly, less significantly. And I think it's just time that when people can find a candidate independent of party that speaks to them on a level of advocating for their voice, then that is the kind of political system that we should get behind. And I mean, when I listened to you, Cindy, it was clear. And I would be voting for you if you were in my district, but I have no doubt that people that are going to be voting for you are uh, are definitely understanding that you are the voice of, that you're their voice. And this is the voice that's lacking in the political process that a lot of people on the Republican side thought was going to be there for them in 2016. But now they've really realized more than ever, we are here for them. We are listening. The De- okay. Democratic Party is the party of the people, which is what mm-hmm. Alan always says, too. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And I think it's really becoming more and more clear on all of that. And you have been an example of working for the people in your own private life before Mm -hmm. you were a candidate 
for so long. Yeah, I'm not a politician. <laughs> I'm a, I'm a, I'm a worker bee. I'm a, I'm a community mm-hmm. organizer. Um, you know, and I'm a, I mean, I, what I do oftentimes is called technical assistance, which means like, I know how to do the, the, the structure of the government. So I'm coming from that place to continue to serve the people because that's what's of value to me. And Catherine, thank you so much for your kind words. It really helps me because I, I have to get up every day and have the mm-hmm. strength to yeah. keep focusing the message to tell people, yes, we are here for you. Yes, you matter in the process. God. And yes, yeah. we can do it together. And you, so. um, as um, to be a little bit of a like sexist here, but as a woman and as a mother you feel so much more deeply and in the longevity in our communities, like I do in some cases to not be an individual and to be really an, an advocate for the community. And sometimes it can get very heavy and to continue to pick that up every day and, and realize it with a level head and advocate for the people that can't have a level head because they're socioeconomic or their racial injustice or their, you know, their particular means precludes them from being a voice for themselves. But you have to take on their cries for help. Like I've already received as a candidate, let alone I can experience as a uh, elected official. And you carry that with you and you have that responsibility of the life and death decisions that we're facing. And you can pick that up every day. I'm, um, yeah, you're an inspiration to me and I know many others and I'm, you, uh, you continue to represent the values of Florida and I mean, our human race. And I, I, I would not be involved with the democratic party and the way that I am, if it wasn't for leaders like you. Oh, well, thank you. That is so amazingly flattering and humbling and and you're inspiring me too. You know, that's where I was like, we got to do this together. And I want, yeah. I want all of the candidates just like you who are running across the state of Florida to feel supported, to feel this is possible, to feel that we can do it and just keep fighting. Cause that is what it's going to take us underdogs in this fight. Yeah. We don't have millions of Dunkin' Donut dollars to throw into their, to our races, but we got the heart and we got the people and we can do it. So Catherine, I want, before we wrap up, cause obviously you and I are birds of a feather and we could keep talking forever, but that doesn't make for good podcast. So why don't you tell us here, just give us a kind of like last little summation um, and then tell us how we can help you. Okay. Um, I am just so enthused by the supporters that have turned up for me and District 23 so far. Please continue to contact me. My platform is your platform. We have this opportunity and we are going to make the mess, the very best of it and the most of it. And I am 100% committed to hearing from every single one of you. So please continue to contact me. I couldn't be more enthused to have your support. I'm happy to everyone that it's donated to my campaign. We're running a real race here in Sarasota County against very um, established forces with uh, significant capital. And that means a lot to me as I continue the trajectory towards November. And I am looking for people uh, to continue to spread the message far and wide about not just District 23, but the fact that the Florida GOP has failed us. And I think that it's time for Florida to stand up as a state um, and uh, be the contingency upon this presidency that we're all hoping on. And I want to turn this state blue. 
Let's do it. So give us your website and contact information as well. CatherineNorman2020.com. That's Catherine with a K. Yes. Catherine with a K. A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E. Norman, N-O-R-M-A-N at uh, 2020 at gmail.com and CatherineNorman2020.com. Catherine Norman 2020.com. Well, thank you so much. Um, we should absolutely uh, send volunteers, send dollars and share and amplify your voice uh, to be the actual voice of the people in Sarasota and work to break the corrupt structure of both Sarasota County as well as the state GOP um, who has just put everybody in this state in, uh, you know, crony lockstep with Trump and uh, Catherine's the one that's going to take them out. So thank you so mm-hmm. much for being here today. Really appreciate Dr. it. Sydney, thank you so much for having me on. I, I'm so proud to be here and uh, for your time. Absolutely. So we're going to turn Florida blue. We're going to turn it blue. And there's more to come from us too. So thanks so much for being here. Let's flip it blue. Have a great day. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Dr. Cindy Speaks. If you'd like to learn more about her campaign, go to cindybanyay.com or connect with her directly at vote at cindybanyay.com. We love connecting with people. Contents of this podcast are paid for and approved by friends of Sandy Banyay.